0: Block Talk Radio. This is the EWN Radio Network.
1: Welcome to On the Record with your host Astrum Lux Welcome to On the Record. I am your host, Astrum lux Lucis, and today I am so excited to have with me Ken Cragen. Ken Cragen is, as Jane Polly from NBC stated, a phenomenon. He was the creator and organizer behind the historic humanitarian projects We Are the World, Hands Across America, and Cisco Systems NetAid, which earned him a United Nations Peace Medal. He's produced a variety of film and television projects ranging from the groundbreaking Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, Kenny Rogers' Five Gambler Movies, and in 2004 he produced The Twelve Dogs of Christmas, a live-action full-length feature film based on his daughter Emma's best-selling children's book. He's also managed the careers of Burt Reynolds, The Bee Gees, Gallagher, Kenny Rogers, Lindsay Buckingham, Lionel Richie, Olivia Newton-John, The Smothers Brothers, and Trisha Yearwood, just to name a few. He's the author of Life is a Contact Sport and has an impressive record of unprecedented success as a motivational speaker, career and marketing consultant, and designer of non-profit events and strategies. And if that wasn't enough, Ken's lectured at Harvard Business School, USC, Loyola Marymount, and the University of Tennessee, and currently teaches a 10-week undergraduate course at UCLA's Herb Albert School of Music called Stardom Strategies for Musicians. Please welcome Ken Cragen.
2: It's a pleasure to be here. It's nice to talk to you.
1: Pleasure to have you, Ken. So I'd kind of like to dig in. You have an interesting story. Um, so you were telling me that um, you, what you originally thought you were going to do, you didn't really have a career path set out. You just kind of fell into things. So kind of explain how that all happened.
2: Well, you know, it's the interesting thing is in high school and college, I did produce concerts for a number of artists, but it was way, way, way back in a period of time when it was kind of the beginning of folk music, and you know, I did the first concert for a group called the Kingston Trio, and I worked with all kinds of folk artists in that period of time. And then, um, uh, but I was in high school in college, and then I got accepted to Harvard Business School, and my, I was gonna go to work for the Kingston Trio as their concert promoter, and my dad said, no, if you don't go to school now, and get your your graduate degree I get a master's degree from the business school uh, you'll never do it and he was right about that and I went off to school and checked into school and the idea of going in the advertising world I thought I'd go in the advertising business in fact I, while I was in Boston going to Harvard I was uh, interning at BBD and O, a big ad agency at the time and um, really thought that was going to be my career path but uh, at a coming home between the semesters of my last year at the business school, uh, a, group, um, a group called the Limelighters, uh, which none of your listeners will probably know, uh, but a group came to me and said, uh, would you be our executive secretary? And in probably the guttiest thing that I have ever done, considering my age and my inexperience completely, I just said, you know, I didn't go to Harvard Business School at this point to be your executive secretary. If you want a manager, call me. And I got back to school, because I still had another four or five months to go, and there was a letter from the leader of the group, very funny letter, I wish I'd kept it, saying, uh, you know, we'd like you to be our manager. And I kind of dropped everything else. I I told them they're gonna have to wait till I graduate, but I immediately went to work for them. And um, even though I was still in, in grad school, and uh, it just sort of changed my whole career path. I never dreamed it. Within a year or so, that group became the number two best-selling uh, artist behind Elvis Presley at RCA. Uh, I, had, I learned by making a lot of mistakes along the way, but I learned from these guys who were older than me, had a lot of experience in the business, uh, and I learned by making mistakes. And suddenly, uh, I had a successful career as a personal manager um, with my very, very first group. I mean, it didn't, you know, it was amazing. Um, I took a lot less money the first year to, to work for them, but by the second year, my gosh, I was probably making as much a year as my dad had made, and my dad was one of the big time lawyers in the business. Um, and so it was it was a tremendous, you know, opportunity, but I, I think it, the key to it, quite frankly, the, the key is, and it's been my whole life, that I've always viewed you take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of you. That that luck is taking advantage of opportunities, and that almost everything's an opportunity. And I have just consistently gone, not in some prearranged path, but in the path that seemed to present itself as it was going to be fun, interesting, uh, you know, exciting, um, fulfilling and I try to teach that to my students at UCLA you know find out what's really excites you and you know your career is a your career is a tool for your life it's not your career isn't your life it's one of the tools you use to have the best life possible make it service your life you know find out what what's exciting and, and fulfilling in your life and go that direction mm-hmm. and the rest of them yeah, will
0: come.
1: yeah. And that's kind of like what vision really is. Vision is when you want to get inside of the feelings that you want to experience, that you want to embody, and then through experiencing those feelings, then whatever comes your way is going to provide that for you. That's great. Um, how, is, you know um, getting into the management side, like what aspects of managing did you like? What was it that you know you thought it was, was fun about it?
2: Well it's interesting in the beginning the fun thing was I'd never done any of it quite like that before although I had produced concerts in high school and college so and the group toured a lot so I did have a lot of experience at that but, uh, but the fun part I think was that every day was completely different than the day before and that I was doing literally everything that the group needed I mean I was literally booking the travel which was kind of fun because the group in those days toured with a full-size bass fiddle and it had to wow. it had to be put in a seat there was no case for it so <laughs> we had to we had to book a seat for it so you would you would say call up and make reservations and it'd be for uh, um, Gottlieb initial, initial L um, Yarbrough, this guy named Glenn Yarbrough became very famous, initial G, and so on, and then you'd say fiddle and initial B, you know, because you were <laughs> booking the bass fiddle on the trip. But, I mean, I got their laundry done. I, I, you know, I booked, I mean, I worked on their dates. I dealt with the agency. I dealt with the record company. Every day was just completely different and new to me. And I think perhaps the most exciting time of my career in many ways. Although I've had so many highs, it's amazing. But uh, uh, if you think about it, as a kid out of grad school, you know, suddenly go to work for uh, in the music business, traveling with a group, um, doing everything for them, uh, it was very exciting.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely.
2: The other thing—the other thing to tell you, which was very interesting because it was a great part of the learning experience—they couldn't agree on anything. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons they got a naive young man like myself was that they figured each of them figured they could control the group through me. So they mm-hmm. would get me aside and tell me what their what their thoughts were about which booking agent we should go with or which thing, <laughs> and each one would have a completely different opinion. And I'd listen to them all. Then we'd get together in a meeting. They would argue back and forth, consi- consistently, until they couldn't. They had a complete impasse. And they would turn to me and say, let's let Ken make the decision. Well, by that time, I'd heard everything. And sort of like Solomon, I was like, all right, this is the route we're going to go. And, but I'd already had all the inputs, and it was great. Yeah. It was really a tremendous learning experience.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Um, what were some of the things that you kind of were um, lessons learned that back then that kind of shaped the way that you do things now?
2: You know, the biggest single lesson that I learned, I probably learned it long before I was managing artists, From probably learned it from my parents or, or life experiences, was was the importance of honesty. And honesty, I, I teach you know, this course at UCLA, one of the, one of the days uh, is called How to Get Caught Telling the Truth, because I want to build credibility with whoever I deal with, so I'm delighted when I've made a mistake I mean, I'm not happy that I made a mistake, but that I can confess it and and confess things to people that might not seem to be in my own best interest, but builds credibility that I'm not going to lie to them and just try to protect myself. And, and the most important thing I, I really found throughout all that was the power of honesty to build a business, to build trust with clients, uh, that, that an honesty went not just to you know, being truthful and not stealing from the group and all of that, it went also to admitting when you don't know how to do something and getting somebody in who can do it for you, or you know, or or being honest with the group about their own shortcomings and, and you know, and, and things that they have to improve on. Um, honesty just, see, when, when people come to me all the time, as they still do, and say, um, you know, can you manage me? And I don't do that anymore, and I say, and then the next question is, who would you recommend? And I say, look, I'm not sure who it should be, but first and foremost, that person should be honest. The second thing is they need to believe in you. They need to totally believe in you, so they'll walk through walls for you and up against all the negatives that you run into in business, They'll 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 fight their way through them because they believe so much in you. Then you go to experience and reputation and the rest of it. But uh, I always start with the word honesty.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, very important for sure. In, in all aspects of life, definitely.
2: Yes. It, um, it, it 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 it's in every area. You have to practice it too. You have to mm-hmm. be used to it. I. We came back from Australia. I've been on tour with Olivia Newton-John in Australia and making a tv series, uh, special and and i had a bought a pair of tennis shoes there among other things and they were completely worn out and as i re- wrote out the list of what i was bringing into the country uh, i put the tennis shoes down and my wife looked at me like i was absolutely crazy she said you're going to throw those away you know you're never going to wear them again I, I said well they're in my suitcase and they are part of what i bring back and she said why are you doing it? i said because you can't be halfway honest I bought those shoes, you know, I mean, it you know, then, of course, interestingly, we got waved through and never even had to declare anything anyway, but the shoes shouldn't, it wouldn't cost me anything. It just was, it's a practice. You have to mm-hmm. keep practicing being honest. You have to make it part of your ma- of your makeup so you always do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's very easy for the ego to, you know, oh, it's just a little white lie, it won't really matter, you know, it's, it's for their benefit, but yeah, it's never for anybody's benefit to even tell little white lies, I've found.
2: No, it's actually to your own benefit to tell the truth, because mm-hmm. I'll give you a really good example, I use it in my classes, it's a true story, and it's very quick. Uh, Kenny Rogers called me one time years ago when we were making those Gambler movies, and he said, call Bud Grant, the the uh, president of uh, CBS, the head of CBS, and find out some things when when they're airing the show and certain things about promotion and stuff. And I said, sure, I'll do it. And I forgot. He hung up. Next morning, he called me back. He said, so did you talk to Bud? What did he say? Now, I'm faced at that moment in time with the easiest white lie imaginable. And mm-hmm. that is, oh, I, call, I called Bud Grant, I left word, he hasn't called me back yet. Mm-hmm. But I'm delighted instead to say, you know what, Kenny, I totally forgot. I didn't write it down. It's important with all the stuff I have on my plate that I write stuff down. Next time you ask me to do something, just say, Ken, did you write it down? And I said, I forgot. I'll make the call as soon as we hang up and I'll get back to you. You know, what I've done there is I've built trust with him that Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do what was the easiest lie in the world. I could have gotten around it so easily, never would have known. Yeah. But I'm delighted to get caught telling the truth. And it's a great example of how you use honesty really to build a reputation. And your reputation is going to bring business beating to your door.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because now you're showing that you have personal integrity and your word means something. Yeah
0: lifting as she climbs. Hi, this is Sandra Yancey and I'm the founder and CEO of eWomen Network. I'm looking to connect with the woman I've just described who lives in your community so that we might have a conversation about how eWomen Network's proven success system can provide her a platform to elevate her success and ability to support women in business. Our international community of managing directors are influencing the speed of success for women in business around the world. If that sounds like something that you want to be part of or know someone we should talk with, send an email to managingdirector at ewomennetwork.com. That's director at ewomennetwork.com. And let's start the conversation.
1: And we're back with Mr. Ken Cragen on the record. Just, you're just such an amazing person, and looking over all of your, your information, I'm just like, I don't even know where to begin. You know, it's so much, and so much I want to get inside of to see. Um, you know, as you were managing artists, um, when did you decide that, you know, this is, it's, kind of, it's not fun anymore? Because obviously something had to happen for you to not want to do it anymore. Um, kind of what happened in that, and where did that take you next?
2: Well, the, the management of artists was pretty exciting the whole time, as long as I had some kind of really strong star, uh, at least one major star, that would bring me the ability to leverage other artists that I was managing to get calls returned and so on. I, I didn't quit managing till about 2008, so I managed for, my gosh... Uh, 40 years or something like that maybe even close to 50 Uh, and uh, and I stopped really only when Kenny Rogers and I parted after 33 years together and I no longer had a superstar and I was managing some very very talented young acts and I did that for about four or five years and I discovered that I could just couldn't get as far without that one thing that a show or a concert promoter or somebody would need from me that would open the door. People would return my call, but they weren't they weren't pushing to try and help me out per se with a lesser mm-hmm. act as such, no matter how talented they were. And there was a lot of work and a lot of time involved. And I finally just, uh, in, in about 2008, I quit managing and I kind of turned my career around where I'm primarily a, a nonprofit consultant now and I'm working with some very, very exciting consulting stuff. But frankly, management, the great thing about management, and uh, Tommy Smothers of the Smothers Brothers taught me this, that if you are the one who controls the artist or the access to the artist as a manager, if you're the one that people have to call to get the artist to do anything, um, you have tremendous leverage. And you can pretty much dictate your own position in the industry. So that if, uh, for example, your artist ends up with a television series like the Smothers Brothers did in the late 1960s, you you know, all of a sudden you're essentially, although we weren't listed that way in those days, you're the executive producer of that show. Uh, and you and you can spend a lot of time doing a lot of fun stuff that isn't purely management even though it helps your client. Um, you know. I, as, as the years went on, I ended up producing movies and television shows and then of course all these huge, huge humanitarian events. But it was always based the fact that I controlled a considerable uh, number of talented superstar artists and that opened tremendous doors for me. I mean, you know, uh, Harry Belafonte called me about We Are The World because I was managing Lionel Richie and other superstars who I could immediately call on to make as the core elements in that historic recording. Um, you know, time after time, uh, I, I was able to leverage that management part of my career um, into fun stuff that I did and exciting stuff and and meaningful stuff. Meaningful stuff in the world uh, because of the success of my artists and. Um, you know, in fact, there's a real good example of that kind of thing with Harry Chapin. Uh, I don't know how many of your listeners will remember Harry Chapin, but they rem- might remember Cats in the Cradle or some of his other um, uh, tremendous songs. Harry, unfortunately, was killed in 1981 in a car accident on the Long Island Expressway. But Harry had a very, very strong career in the late 1970s. And, but he was doing all kinds of charity work, but raising minimal amounts of money and when I took on Harry, I explained to him that <clears throat> we had to concentrate for a while on building his career to the highest level because if we could get a stronger career for him, then he could do much greater work from a humanitarian standpoint and raise mm-hmm. more money and more awareness for the things he cared about, particularly poverty in the United States and hunger and homelessness, that we could uh, do that by his higher profile. and. I demonstrated that quite clearly to him because I had my client Kenny Rogers do a concert for Harry and where Harry was raising five to ten thousand dollars a night for his charity events, Kenny raised a hundred and eighty thousand dollars that night and handed mm-hmm. the check to Harry and literally for the first time in his life Harry I saw was speechless I mean he couldn't believe it <laughs> so it demonstrated the importance of you know not ignoring the career even though you want to do good work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. How do you, that kind of brings up an interesting topic I know that probably uh, a lot of listeners would be interested in is, so you have this, it's kind of like the arts have been monetized and through monetization that means that the more power you have as an artist, the more money you're going to make and the more phone calls you're going to get returned and stuff like that. How does that uh, – what are your kind of thoughts on that sort of the way that is and, and how that affects people who maybe like extremely talented, but they can't get to – they can't get through the gatekeepers and they can't get to the people they need to get to maybe because it's in their personality, they're super shy or whatever. But it, it seems like the, the system is – because it's been – you know, put into a business structure and monetize that it's no longer sort of about the art. It's about the
2: numbers. Uh, You know, I might disagree with you a little now because the Internet has opened up things in a a way that we never had back in the early days when I was beginning and, and through much of my career. But the Internet has, if you are extremely talented and unique, and that's a key word here, unique, if you have something that really makes you different from the others, and sometimes it makes you rather, you know, awkward or um, or not very acceptable on a on a typical social level, but on the other hand, you have something really special to say and a special way to present it. Um, you have the opportunity now to get on YouTube and, and other outlets and and reach an audience and build an audience that can blossom into a career. That doesn't mean that everybody who's talented is going to have that kind of career, because there are a lot of talented people. There, It's, not, it's just that there's only a, a small number that truly stand out, that have that extra dimension. I always felt what serviced me best as a manager all my life was somehow and I don't know where I ever developed this, but some kind of innate ability to recognize a star power, to recognize that extra dimension that truly a, a star uh, or someone who potentially could become a major star had. And I could usually feel it. I could, when they walked in the room, I could tell. There, there was just something about particularly artists, uh, and sometime it was just watching them in performance and seeing what was particularly unique there. And, and throughout my management career, what I was always do, doing was to, trying to discover those elements in an artist that were unique and that we could use to reach out to audiences. But I, I think today the opportunities for truly unique people are greater than they probably ever have been uh, in terms of developing a following and an, and an opportunity. There, you know, it also means there's a ton of stuff out there hitting us from every direction, and we can talk about you know what you have to do to to sort of stand out in that sea of noise that's out there. But mm-hmm. but yeah. I do think, quite frankly, um, the the world has opened up in a different way. You know, and um, I, I think the thing you have to stop doing is worrying about what you can't accomplish or what and and blaming any anybody else and look for what is unique about yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you, um, can you put like qualities and, and definable qualities and attributes to what you, I mean you said it was a feeling but are you able to define that more, that star power thing that you, you feel?
2: You know that's interesting, that's a little hard to do. I tried to teach it to some of my employees when I had a large mm-hmm. management company and I was rather unsuccessful at it. Um, there, There is an extra dimension to stars. Um, and by the way, I, I do wanna make one other comment for people, and that is you always have to be careful what you wish for, because you might get it. Because mm-hmm. being a star isn't necessarily the wonderful thing that it appears to be. You just have to look at Kurt Cobain or Janis Joplin or uh, Hendrix or um, any number of other ones we can mention in recent times. Who have been very unhappy being, uh, you know, public personalities because the demands are quite great. And and, and for example, I had a student at UCLA who, uh, named India Carney who just went to number five on the Voice, uh, and you know she suddenly got a stalker and uh, and mm. you know and a, a serious one, you know. And you you just those kinds of things come with the territory, unfortunately, and can really make your life pretty uh, miserable if uh, you know so stardom stardom comes with a lot you know your privacy going away and a lot of other things that that are difficult it also comes with a lot of perks and sometimes a lot of money and and certainly recognition and a feeling of meaning and so on and and the opportunity to do very good works but it's a two-edged sword and you have to be very careful about that um, but um, you know, saying that, uh, what is that quality, it differs. It, what it is, is something that immediately grabs you. You know, I was watching on The Voice from the early stages because my former student was, uh, was appearing on it, and I knew right away that the young kid who won it was probably gonna win it. And the reason was, he was a fresh-faced 16-year-old, looked different, wore a hat the whole time, long hair, uh, cute is just some a quality about him that was special you know not necessarily the best singer on the show by any means unique in the way he sang but he had that appeal and I knew teenage girls were going to go crazy for him and I said maybe 10 weeks out that kid's probably got the best chance to win this and sure enough he did and that I don't know how to describe it because it's different there's nothing you know the nice thing would be if you could plug in and say oh it's this this and this it isn't it differs every time but it Mm -hmm. is a combination of qualities or things that make somebody unique and stand out and appeal to that audience that's going to support that artist and um and you know sometimes and the other thing is in general now in this kid's case he's 16 and it was his first big exposure and he broke and he's broken big now got a lot of huge records and stuff. Uh, Most cases, most artists are around for a while before they hit. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's younger and younger nowadays, but it, you know, people think, oh, they were overnight sensations. Well, those overnight sensations very often have been working at their craft for quite a while. And um, that's more the norm than the sudden, I mean, sure, nowadays with YouTube and stuff, there are these phenomenons that just break. You know, like the like the kid who is the uh, bag the the checker at the at a grocery store who suddenly became a an, an idol for all these kids. You know, I mean, it's there are crazy stuff that happens nowadays with the internet. But in general, it's a lot of work. Really, being mm-hmm. good is a lot of work, and, y- yeah. and you work at it, and you have to believe in yourself, and you have to believe in your own ability, and you in a way you have to need it. You know, that's the interesting part of stardom. Mm-hmm. You, you, because you're going to get a lot of rejection along the way, and you're going to have times where, you know, I can't tell you, I mean, I think it was you two, I heard an interview with them recently, where how many rejection letters they got. And and they even showed a couple where, you know, record companies wrote back and said, sorry, your music's not commercial or whatever. You mm-hmm. know? I mean, it's, um, you you have to believe and you have to, you have to shrug that stuff off and keep moving on.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, You kind of brought up some interesting things when you were talking about, like, the young kids on The Voice and stuff like that. Um, How do you think ageism plays a role in today's music industry? Like, do you think, um, because I know it's still, well, at least from my perception, it seems that the mindset of Um, The A&R people, the the record company people, is if you're like over 25 that no one's really going to be interested in you even if you are extremely talented because they're more trying to sell an image so do you think ageism is still relevant as far as like a, a do-it-yourself or trying to actually get to the to the big level or is it kind of irrelevant in the in the whole overall scheme of it all or what are your thoughts on that
2: no age age is extremely relevant and it's not just relevant in the music industry it's sort of true through our society to some extent um you know that it's tougher i'm married to an actress who's uh, not that old but not that young either you know and it's harder for older actresses today although she's doing nicely. Uh, the um, the It's true throughout not just the entertainment industry it's true in all kinds of areas. Uh, I just was at Facebook's headquarters recently uh, less a week ago last Monday and uh, and, you know, all I saw were a thousand young people working in, on this place. <laughs> you know, it's, it is, we are very much in an age where it's gotten younger and younger, and you have probably a better chance of success uh, being young and having exceptional talent than you do uh, having talent and being older. That doesn't mean you can't succeed, but it does mean the odds are you know, stronger, and you have to, against you, and you just have to find more ways to make it work. And it does—it does work, not as often, but it does happen. And um, and sometimes, you know, uh, it can happen as as a, and break out big. You know, um, there, it, it's it's a it's really always an issue of standing out and being totally different. Uh, and having something unique to say, and having a unique talent, and just being talented. You can have a nice career just being talented if you don't want to be a superstar. Uh, You know, because there's plenty of places as a talented performer that you can play and perform and work, uh, if you work hard at it. Um, But in terms of true stardom, um, it is becoming a younger and younger person's world, and, um, and that partly is because those are the ones who are You know, buying the product generally. Mm -hmm. Um, So you know, you have to look for other avenues for your talent too, other things to do. Uh, You know, if you're a musician, maybe you also uh, do acting, or you do something where you can you where the age issue is not. You have to be 15 years old. You know,
0: Mm -hmm. Um, but
2: but um, again, the reason the young people that do break out tend to break out is they have exceptional talent at a very young age i mean look at leanne rhymes mm-hmm, you know, yeah. one of my i think one of the funniest record album titles i've ever heard was when leanne rhymes was 13 they put out leanne rhymes the younger years the early years mm-hmm. leanne rhymes <laughs> the early years
1: we'll be right back with more from mr ken Cragen on the record
3: Whether you are in business for yourself and you're a startup or you're a big company and you've been around for a while or if you're just an individual that needs a website, you have probably already learned it can be pretty crazy and stressful to make a website that meets the demands of today's consumer. From hard to use site builders to expensive web developer costs. Here at For the King, our basic custom web design and hosting starts at just $37. You heard us right, a fully custom site for $37 head to our website at www.fortheking.co. Once again, that's co.
1: And we're back with Mr. Ken Cragen on the record. So, um... Let's go back to kind of your mindset a little bit. So when obstacles and challenges arise for you, um, how do you kind of get your mind focused back to, you know, staying positive and motivated instead of getting discouraged?
2: Um, yeah, I think I think it's critical to look at everything that happens in life as an opportunity. I, I teach that to my students as well. Uh, I put lottery tickets under every seat. and. Uh, they come in and when they scratch off the lottery tickets nobody wins very much somebody might win $25 or something but nobody wins much and I explain to them look you're not waiting around to win the lottery luck is taking advantage of opportunities but most importantly even the negatives are opportunities Uh, and and I demonstrate that uh, with things like the whole home shopping network happened because an advertiser didn't pay his bills and um, a fellow named Bud Paxton uh, down in in Florida, uh, took um, these can openers that the advertiser was, was advertising instead of the payment of the bill, put them on the radio, sold them out in two hours, hundreds of them in two hours. So, you know, a Light bulb went off and he said, oh my gosh, uh, I can make more for my radio station by selling product than I can by selling advertising. And the whole home shopping industry was born out of a negative. And, and super negatives like Mothers Against Drunk Driving was born out of these women losing their children to drunk drivers, but they've saved millions of lives since. I mean, it was a horrible, the worst negative you could have, and yet um, they at least they turned it into something where their children's, the loss of their children's life wouldn't be in vain. There, everything is an opportunity if you view it that way, and um, and you just have to if you take that approach you have a very good chance of it working out that way that way too because you're not just frozen in in negativity or grief you're in a positive sense how can i make it, this into something that does some good you know or or how can we you know not blatantly capitalize not exploit but how can we how can we take this negative and turn it into something positive and uh, that's my view always of everything that happens. So, um, I think it's just a good lesson for anybody.
1: Yeah, and it, it kind of seems to be a theme behind um, successful people as well, or people who just have you know come from a more uh, positive approach to life. Um, so it's 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 like a mindset of you know it's all good, you know it's all good, and I'm going to use this to my advantage, even if it. Maybe doesn't feel good in the moment. There's something here for me to either I need to change the direction or go a different way. Um, but it's always a lesson. Seems.
2: Yeah, right. absolutely, absolutely. You know, probably the biggest lesson I teach. Maybe we'd like to talk. You'd like to talk about it is something I call the magic of threes. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah, it, it's it's probably been one of the keys to my success uh, throughout my career. Although I didn't really discover it until I started teaching at UCLA in 1988, and had to kind of look back on my career and figure out when I when I'd been successful and when I hadn't, and and it's kind of an amazing thing that I discovered. Uh, you know, there is a there is a true magic to the number three. Um, I mean, there's the Holy Trinity, there's three wise men, there's three strikes and you're out and in baseball, there's three beats to a joke, uh, there's all kinds of demonstrations of the importance of three. In fact, uh, about a year ago, I'm, I'm a big astronomy buff, and in fact I'm working for NASA in the Jet Propulsion Laboratory right now on a big project, and uh, about a year ago a group of astronomers discovered that there's an actual law of three in the universe. And um, but the way I found the magic of threes is much simpler and much more a marketing tool. Uh, I discovered that it took three things to get anybody's attention, and they had to happen in a concentrated period of time. That we were all so completely barraged by you know, things out there all trying to grab our attention that you couldn't sell anything to anybody unless you got their attention. And to do that, you had to have something that was unique or special. It had to have real substance to it, and it had to be unexpected. And while well, that's three things, You but you had to do three things in a concentrated period of time if you wanted anybody to take any kind of action. And um, and it, it, it demonstrated to me, uh, sometimes when you fail to do something, you learn the most out of it. In this uh, particular case, when I was looking back, you know, I saw where I had brought things together and concentrated them in a tight period of time and it had worked, but I also saw where I hadn't and the opposite happened. And the greatest example of it, which I think teaches the lesson better than anything, was Lionel Richie at the 84 Olympics, the 1984 Olympics. He, he closed the Olympics with the song All Night Long and he did it with a, in the Coliseum here in Los Angeles with a thousand dancers, It was viewed by literally billions of people. I heard the figure of four billion, that might be a little high, but billions of people actually saw it. And Lionel Richie's career did not get advanced at all. And I know I was his manager. Uh, And the reason was it was isolated. Sure, more people saw that than anything else you could imagine, and yet uh, it didn't move the needle on Lionel's career six months later he hosted the American Music Awards he was on the cover of TV Guide, he performed on the American Music Awards and won six awards that night he uh, had written We Are the World the week before with Michael Jackson and we recorded it that night we did press conferences the following week he went on the Grammys three weeks later performed and won three Grammys. In a concentrated period of time Lionel Richie was every, everywhere and he was coming at people from every direction and the other thing was people were seeing multiples of Lionel where they had only seen the one thing last summer and literally billions saw it. Here, if you added up all the people that viewed Lionel in those different things with the with the um, American Music Awards and everything, it still wouldn't amount to anywhere near the people that saw the Olympics, and yet Lionel Richie's career skyrocketed at that point, and and it was the multiples. So, so I basically teach people: look, find a central event and that central event could be a holiday. I've built events around Valentine's Day with record releases and other things for artists. That central event could be a holiday, but whatever it is, it dictates the timing. Now you take things that might be happening now and you slow them down, so they happen right in that same week or so. You take things that might have been happening after that and you speed them up, so they all happen in a concentrated period of time. I'm talking about a day, a week, even a month is a bit too long. Tightest period is time. You want multiple impressions in a tight period of time and you'll find that you can get people to take action. And it's called the magic of threes and I have students who read my book or took my classes 10 years ago who come back to me and say I've been using the magic of threes on everything I do ever since.
1: Yeah. Yeah, part of what I do also is uh, I'm a real estate investor, and so um, as I was preparing my uh, marketing materials to go out on my mailing for um, the July auction, I um, I was like, you know what? I'm going to apply the law of threes to this mailing this time. So like every other day, I'm going to mail something to these people and see what kind of deals I get from it. So thank you for that.
2: <laughs> well, I uh, and, awesome. uh, and let me give you a, let me give you a word of advice on that. I think that's great but make it come from different directions as well. In other words, okay. multiple mailing pieces, I would generally say is only equivalent of one. It's, it's social media is a good example. I, mm-hmm. I tell my students, I say, look, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those are all fine, use them all, but consider them one direction mm-hmm. because okay. they're the social media direction. Where's the billboard across the street from somebody's office? Where's the phone call that you needed to make? I mean, I tell people when mm. you're just going out for a job. Here, here's a really good lesson for anybody listening to this. If you're applying for a job, what use the magic of threes, okay? And I and I learned this from a guy at New York Life Insurance. Is the way they pitch life insurance to what they call uh, their their prospects. Um, he, I said. Before you ever go out for that job, find somebody who can call up the interviewer, whoever is going to be the one that you're meeting with. Find somebody who can make a call to them and say, listen, you know, you're going to be, you know, Mary Jones is coming in to interview with you, and I just wanted to be sure. You know she has exceptional qualities or whatever. You, they find things that will resound with that person and they tell that person about them. They make a call in there and, and it predates your going in. I mean, it's a day or two before. Then when mm-hmm. you go there, you take something, you, you do your homework on who's going to be interviewing you and you take something that you can think, in my case, because my daughter wrote a best-selling book for children at, when she was seven, by the way, uh, and we made two movies out of it, I can take the book or the movies or whatever, and I do this quite often, uh, if I know they have small children. You take something you can leave that they'll remember you by, That's that there's a reason for your bringing, it's not just kissing up, it's something interesting. Mm-hmm. You take something in as well as your resume and your photo or whatever else you're having to take in, but you take something in. Then during the interview, you listen carefully and you listen to what you ask questions. You want to know exactly what they're looking for. Since they're the gatekeepers, what are the keys that are going to open that gate? What, what are they looking for? The minute you leave, as soon as you go home, you write, I I prefer a personal note, a handwritten note, because it's different mm-hmm. and unique nowadays, but you can also mm-hmm. do an email, but you write them back, you thank them for their time, and you mention how you, know, you were looking for somebody with high level computer skills and I specifically have that and here's my experience, you, you direct your, your thank you note in it, you reinforce how you fit what they're looking for. So now you've done three things, there's a pre-call, there's stuff when you go, and there's the post call when you, when, uh, I mean the, the post follow up when you leave. And it all happens basically in the same couple of days and you you may not get that job but you'll have a better chance of getting that job than than many of the other people that go in there most of them probably yeah
1: yeah and even if you don't get the job you the, the person might you know remember remember who you are and if an opportunity comes their way they'll be like, oh, you know this person I interviewed them and they'd be perfect for this and you know get a referral exactly. out of it exactly
2: exactly yeah. totally
1: we'll be right back with more from Mr. Ken Cragen on the record.
3: Do you like to travel? Would you like to travel more frequently? How about even having your own personal travel agent, including having 24/7 access to a very user friendly website to book your travel as well. Look no further than discount travel vacation. Robert Hernandez Jr. is a certified travel consultant and can help you with any of your travel needs. Anything from travel transportation by air, train, or car through well-known companies you have probably used at some time in your life. Also pages and pages of hotels to choose from that you would normally stay at. The differences in booking your travel with Discount Travel Vacation is the one-on-one care you get from having your own personal travel agent, to the very engaging website to book your travel through, to the many discounts you will have access to. There are also lots of other travel options to choose from, such as vacation packages and cruises. Do not delay. Check out his site today. Discounttravel.pacation.com And we're back
1: with Mr. Ken Cragen on the record. Is there anything that you want to... um... Touch on as far as um, what you think we might have missed or um, anything that's just well, you a know, burning, one of the other
2: one of the other things um, one of the other things that I think is probably significant uh, is another part of the lecture that I give at UCLA and and to corporations and that has to do with accomplishing the impossible. It kind of relates to We Are the World, Hands Across America, and Live Aid and all the other big events that I've worked on. Um, and that is that um, I've I found that it's easier to accomplish what people think is impossible than it is to accomplish the ordinary, and that it's and it's amazing how this is true, but um, and there's a reason for it, and it really goes back to this whole idea of getting people's attention, because you know you can't get somebody's attention when you're just redoing what was already done. We Are the World was the first time, and certainly in the U.S., that artists like this had ever been brought together, and it stood out as a unique situation. Hands Across America, which I did the next year, with, you know, tying, getting six and a half million people to old hands from New York to L.A., in a continuous line all at the same moment, was completely impossible, and yet it got everybody's attention, it got the media's attention, it, and it became possible just because it was basically seemingly impossible so I always tell people you know when you start out with a project how can you make it so exciting where's the wow factor Um, you know where where is I use a marching band all the time in my lectures where's your version of the marching band where's your wow factor where's something that's going to get people's attention and think about making it so unique and so big that people say oh my gosh how's he ever going to accomplish that and but they pay attention, and the moment—that's the first step, because you can't sell anybody anything unless you get their attention. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably the the biggest single thing I would add. Um, you know, now that that I've found invaluable, um, and I do it constantly. I mean, it's I'm I'm a consultant for a number of nonprofits, and for uh, right now for the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and NASA on a huge project, and. I, each time when I walk in there, I'm thinking about how do we make this so incredibly unique and special that people are going to go, oh my gosh, how are they, they going to do that?
1: Yeah. What do you do when you get naysayers? How do you how do you handle that?
2: You just have to believe strong enough that you that you fight your way through that, and you don't let that affect you if you truly believe it. You know, you just don't. Um, you know, I mean, they're always going to be that. They're always going to mm-hmm. be that. They're always going to be people that. Uh, gosh, we had it. Uh, we had it very strongly with one particular news person from the LA Times during the Hands Cross during the We Are the World Hands Cross America days. We had a guy who every article he wrote was something negative. Many times, what he made up, but uh, you know, we still just fought our way through it and did good work and and didn't let it. Didn't let it affect us, you know. It was, um, it was just what we knew we had to do, and um, you know, you just if there's a there's a great Thornton Wilder quote. Uh, it's every great thing balances at the razor edge. Uh, on the ra- I'm sorry, every great thing balances at all times on the razor edge of disaster, and um, it's kind of amazing, but it's exist- it's what I've found constantly that the bigger the thing, the, the more impact it's gonna have, the more exciting it's gonna be, the, the better uh, chance we have that it's gonna be fraught with issues and crises and dangers and problems. And you just fight your way through them. You just make them, make them happen, make them go away. And uh, you know, I'm, I've been very effective dealing with that over the years.
1: That's kind of what makes it fun, right? It's it's like a challenge, like an adventure, uh, you know, the the big opportunity, you know. It's, it's once again, it's a mindset how you look at it, um, moves you forward, in the way Ab- you want to Absolutely,
2: go. I was just talking yesterday to um, to my uh, uh, gentleman, one of the people I work with on the jet propulsion NASA project, and it's a huge project, and I and I said the exact thing to him I said look you know we're gonna have a lot of crises in this because it's so huge what we're doing and it's so special Uh, there are gonna be moments you know because he was brought up some things what if this happens and what about that and so on and I said look we'll deal with them when we get to them believe me we'll have those issues of in some way or form probably unexpected issues but I said you know um, we'll deal with it we will deal with it and." you know, he agreed, and I just said, I, I, I used the Thornton Wilder quote, which I, you know, use all the time. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's, you just, you you learn that um, you can control a lot of that. It just takes time and effort and belief and faith mm-hmm. that you're gonna, that you're doing something important that, that to be, um, needs to happen. And
1: yeah.
2: then you make it happen.
1: Well, Ken, we are at the end of the show here. And I just want to once again thank you so much for taking your time to join us here at On The Record. Uh, I appreciate it greatly. You've been a wealth of information, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, My pleasure.
2: Yeah, My we, pleasure. I enjoyed we it again myself. Soon. Yeah, it was time awesome. i went by very fast. Thanks. There comes a
3: time when we hear in the world must come together as
0: one There are people dying Oh, when it's time to lend a hand to life The greatest gift of all We can go on
3: Pretending day by day That someone somewhere
0: We'll soon make a change We all a part of God's great big family
2: And the truth You know love is all we need
0: I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. One of my mottos for business owners is you can't do it alone. Whether you're in the startup stage of your business or you're scaling, you can't grow without relationships to provide support, wisdom, and new customers. eWomen Network is your home to connect with other women entrepreneurs who have been where you are or are experiencing the same challenges. We have chapters across the U.S. and Canada that have monthly events featuring our trademarked process called Accelerated Networking to ensure you get the contacts, resources, and leads you need to grow your business. And once you become a member, you get many benefits, including two one-on-one coaching sessions, unlimited access to our membership database, your own personal profile page, and discounts on products and services with our business partners such as UPS and American Express Open. Join the E-Women Network community and let us help you live your dream. For details visit ewomennetwork.com.